3: Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Kessler is here. We have one great show for you today. Uh, Michigan, what's going on? If, if Tudor Dixon doesn't win in Michigan, you might have $150 oil. We have Miranda Devine, John McLaughlin on the polls. Dr. Peter Michalos, uh, how do we live longer? Mario Economo on what's going on in Europe. And, of course, the economy. Larry Cutler. And to start off this morning, we have former SEC Chairman Jay Clayton on his concerns about what's going on with the SEC today
2: versus during his administration.
3: Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, there's so many questions that uh, we'd like to ask, and, uh, and uh, the world is changing. The markets are such turmoil in the markets sometimes. Does the turmoil in the markets scare you, where the, the markets fluctuate thousands of uh, points a day?
4: Fluctuations don't necessarily uh, scare me or, or volatility. We are in uncertain times, and it's, it's no surprise, or it should come as no surprise, that prices in the markets are going to change as we learn more about the future and our expectations about the future change. What well, I like to see prices more stable. Uh, of, of course, I would. The, the more stable prices are, uh, the better that you can plan. Uh, and we've been discussing, and you've done a great job discussing inflation uh, on your program, and uh, and how um, I would say is uh, how deleterious the effects of inflation can be. Uh, but what does scare me in markets is when there's no liquidity, um, when there's only when there's only sellers and not buyers. Uh, And and to date, through the the sort of turmoil we've had as a result of a a hot war in Europe and uh, energy, um, uh, I would say, dislocation and our disentanglement from China, uh, we still have had uh, a fair amount of liquidity in the market. Um, Not like we had back in 2020 when the pandemic first hit and the Federal Reserve needed to step in and provide liquidity. So, Short answer is the, the volatility doesn't surprise me or necessarily worry me, but, but what I watch is, is liquidity.
3: One of the things that uh, we talked about previously was the fact that the high-speed trading uh, that some, certain companies uh, uh, are doing versus uh, normal investment, the, the markets being normal investment facilities uh, like the New York Stock Exchange, uh, what say it, you about
4: this situation? It reflects the electronification
3: of our marketplace
4: uh, over the years. We, we've always had uh, traders on the one hand, those who those who provide the liquidity that I spoke about, and investors on the other, those who those who may be invested in a an instrument, a stock for for ten years before they they want to sell it, or or ten days before they want to sell it, um, and the traders. Uh, the market makers, their their job is to stand ready, or their role is to stand ready when uh, someone wants to buy or sell. That used to be a human being, but used to be a human being who committed capital. Um, it is it is now um, almost all, in fact, I believe all, uh, done electronically. And and with the electronification has come two things: incredible speed, and an incredible use of data. And If you are very fast and you have more data, you have an advantage. Um, We should be looking at whether that advantage is too much for the liquidity that it provides or whether it's too concentrated for the liquidity it provides. Those are the real questions for the regulator. Does does the person who's standing in the middle or the firms who are standing in the middle have too much of an advantage um, or are they too concentrated? for the liquidity that they provide to the rest of us. I I will tell you that the price of trading as it has become, uh, electronified has come down dramatically. What you used to pay five, 10, $15 for, you now pay five, 10, 15 cents.
3: Tremendous difference. The other big item in, in the securities and exchange commission, uh, is whether, uh, uh bitcoins and uh, cyprocurrency, or, or whatever you call it, cyprocurrency, or should be regulated uh, because uh, there are people that are investing billions and billions of dollars into bitcoins. What we're talking about is a new
4: technology, um, blockchain technology, cryptographic technology, distributed network, whatever you want to call it. It's a new technology that has come to the financial product space. And it's manifested itself in different things, including, as you mentioned, Bitcoin. People talk about stable coins and the like. It should be regulated for the service, product, investment interest that it provides. I am a believer in, in clear regulation. And said another way, you shouldn't be able to use the technology to skirt or evade regulation.
3: It seems like things have changed a lot. Uh, through the Biden uh, White House? I don't want to say Trump-Biden.
4: I think what we have had over the course of the last, I would say, 15 or 20 years, and I want to tell you that I tried not to do this, tried to catch myself, is an expansion of the role of the financial regulators into other areas, whether it's climate, or politics, or matters of social policy. And I think you have to be careful when you stray outside of your lane. Um, You're you're outside of an area we have expertise. I I understand how markets work. I understand how financing takes place. I I am not going to be an expert in how to transition the economy from fossil fuels um, to more green energy sources. And I don't think anybody who you know, runs the SEC is an expert or has the authority um, to do that. And I think we need to be very careful. And let me say this. I think when someone running an agency steps up and says, oh, I can do that, too, it actually lets Congress off the hook. And some of these thorny issues, political spending, climate transition, energy transition, how, how are we going to um, you know, handle that uh, national security, they should be with Congress and the White House, not with unelected administrative agencies.
3: What is the most important item to you that the SEC is, should be regulating either way? Confidence in,
4: in the operation of the marketplace. Is it is it operating as, as fairly and transparently as it can? Um, are, are companies providing the information to investors um, for them to make investment decisions. I think that confidence in many ways can be boosted if uh, the SEC sticks to its knitting. I I view the women and men of the SEC um, as one of the crown jewels of uh, the U.S. regulatory state. It's the envy of the world. Every other country wishes they had markets that operated like ours. The amount of capital we generate there is. It's staggering because people think that they're fair, efficient, transparent, and we shouldn't mess with that.
3: Well, well I think we all agree 100% that we need people in government uh, that have uh, diversity and experience in. Uh, I mean, the New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, and our uh, world leaders compared to all the other stock exchanges put together.
4: I could not agree with you more. Right now, we are facing issues in our energy markets, our labor markets, uh, our supply chain deglobalization. We need people in government at this time who understand how those markets operate, and we need people in government who understand how the financial markets operate. These are all interrelated. Um, I, I heard Larry Kudlow on your show last week, and he was talking about how the energy market actually affects. The price of food and the labor market, and like we need people in government who understand those interconnections and understand how to address not just destroying demand through higher interest rates, but increasing supply through better regulatory
3: policy. Jay Clayton, former uh, chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission, thank you for coming on this Sunday morning, and I'd like to continue our discussions in the in the near future because uh, there's so many things happening and, and the world economy looks towards the united states for leadership and i think that's the important thing
4: my pleasure and i agree
0: hear that believe it or not summer is just around the corner luckily armorall america's most trusted auto appearance brand has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armor All products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. Armor All. Less work, more clean. Terms apply.
5: And on the line with us right now is Miranda Devine. She is a New York Post columnist. She has a great book out, Laptop from Hell, that really blew it up on the New York Times bestselling list, right? And... You're always doing some incredible investigative work, Miranda Devine. What do you have uh, latest that you can tell us about?
6: Thanks so much, Lydia. Always great to talk to you. Uh, Well, look, what I've been working on most recently is, again, um, this uh, FBI cover-up security apparatus uh, collusion with the Biden administration and big tech to censor um, the thoughts and the ideas and the, the speech of Americans, the protected speech of Americans. There was a terrific article in The Intercept earlier this week, which outlined Uh, A lot more, you know, every sort of week we seem to be getting more pieces of the jigsaw puzzle, which show us just how pervasive this censorship regime has been. And I think it'll be one of the most important things that the Republicans can do when it looks as if they will take back the House and possibly the Senate next week uh, will be to get to the bottom of this censorship regime and the corruption that we've seen in the FBI.
5: Now, House Republicans released a new report on, uh, the, on Friday detailing whistleblower allegations of FBI misconduct and politicalization at the highest levels of the Department of Justice. One of the lines basically says that the FBI is broken and, quote, the problem lies not with the majority of frontline agents who serve our country, but with the FBI's politicized bureaucracy. Is that what you're finding in your investigative reporting?
6: Absolutely, and look, I think this information that the Republicans have put into this 1,000-plus page report is uh, comes from. The dozens now of informants that have come forward, these whistleblowers, um, at great risk to themselves, we've already, uh, you know, I interviewed Stephen Friend uh, at the FBI who actually came forward and gave his identity um, and, you know, has been very courageous. He, He and his wife are both suffered uh, adverse effects after that, which I can't really go into, but it's pretty shocking what's happened to them. Um, But thanks to these courageous whistleblowers, we now know um, the rot inside the FBI and that it comes from particularly from the Washington uh, field office and it involved... The censorship of not just the laptop, but also of um, the information that Tony Bobulinski brought forward. He was one of Hunter Biden's former business partners. Uh, And also um, on the way that they've handled the January 6th investigation, which is, you know, for some perplexing reason, the largest investigation that the FBI has ever done in its history. And uh, many of these whistleblowers are just disgusted at the politicization of the Bureau uh, to go after enemies of, well, not enemies, even just the people that the administration feels are their enemies, just their political opponents.
5: Miranda Devine, we just learned that Paul Pelosi has been released from the hospital. He made a remarkable recovery. What was so galling to me is not even just the attack, which obviously everyone on both sides of the aisle should absolutely condemn what happened to him. But the fact that the media tried to spin it, Hillary Clinton, Gavin Newsom, all these top democrats tried to spin it that this guy was an ultra maga and then once again they're bringing up january 6th once again saying that ultra maga is the greatest threat now facing our democracy when at the end of the day this guy de pepe the guy that attacked paul pelosi was clearly mentally deranged and and that that was at the core of his problems what are you hearing about the latest on the pelosi attack and What do you think about the whole media slants and and bias when it came to it? And also the fact that Kavanaugh—I think I read one article—got the Pelosi attack got eleven times the more coverage than the Kavanaugh attack. I mean, you know, here we are.
6: I'll bet you that there are plenty of New York Times readers or NBC viewers who had no idea that a man flew across the country from California to um, Washington D.C. or Maryland where. Justice Kavanaugh lives, um, armed with all sorts of weapons, including a Glock pistol and um, and special boots that he'd modified so that they were, had padded soles so they didn't make a noise when he was creeping around the house at night. Um, he was um, arrested outside the Kavanaugh house at two in the morning, and he aimed to kill, to capture, kidnap um Justice Kavanaugh over the abortion decision of the Supreme Court. You know, that that was such a uh, dangerous attack on the Supreme Court, not just on Justice Kavanaugh, but on one of our major
2: institutions.
6: And yet the DOJ did nothing about stopping these feral protesters that still to this day are harassing justices outside their homes. And that is against the law. They're actually not allowed to do that. And uh, yet the DOJ has turned a blind eye because it suits them politically because they are utterly politicised. As for Paul Pelosi, look, I agree with everything you said. It was disgusting the way that the Democrats tried to politicise that. And I think they did it because they were worried that here was this this guy who's a homeless you know drug addicted um, mentally deranged uh, and illegal migrant
5: and the house um, he was living in the 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 well he was living in an RV outside of the house they had BLM rainbow flags he was a member yeah. of the green party and his own ex-wife who by the way is in prison for trying to kidnap a 14 year old said that he shared the pedophile. same progressive yeah, yeah. pedophile shared the same progressive views as she did so if he's if he's anything politically, but he doesn't seem like he's in his right mind, he's probably to the far, far, far left. And yet here we are, they're trying to make him ultra MAGA. And where is all of the evidence that supposedly the Washington Post and New York Times had painting him as an ultra MAGA? You can't even find it anywhere.
6: When Paul Pelosi, uh, I, I just think... It wasn't political at all. It's a crime story. It's a story. I mean, we had a woman in New York who was just raped by a homeless guy with, you know, a rap sheet as long as your arm. It's a crime issue. And they were worried, I think, when the Pelosi thing happened, that it would be reported as that, that, oh, now crime in San Francisco is so bad that it's even come to Nancy Pelosi's own house. Well, so they spun it, turned it into ultra-MAGA, which was a complete lie.
5: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Miranda Devine. And to that point with the crime issue, you rallying for Democrat Kathy Hochul for governor right here in New York. Hillary Clinton also doubled down on the fact that the Republicans are raising crime as an issue. She didn't go so far as to call it a conspiracy theory or say that the Republicans were master manipulators, but she did say, quote, That the Republicans are using this as a tactic to keep you scared so you can't think straight and you end up voting against your interests. So just to your point where you said they didn't want to acknowledge that this was an actual crime by a deranged person who, by the way, overstayed his visa from Canada. And that's the truth Mm -hmm. of the matter. And that's what the Republicans have been saying all along, that nobody is safe. Not even Nancy Pelosi. Nobody is safe.
6: Yes, and that is a very potent message that the Republicans have been uh, making. And the reason it's potent is because it's true. This is the case in politics. You know, the Democrats think they can just lie and fool the voters. But in fact, what works is the truth. And people can see with their own eyes, they they can feel when they walk out on the streets that it's menacing, that there are people roaming around the streets who are dangerous and out of control and that the police are not doing their jobs because they've been completely handcuffed. They want it to stop and they know that the reason it's happened is because the Democrats kind of weaponized the George Floyd riots um, and they turned a blind eye in their cities to the rioting uh, and the sort of Antifa Uh, antics that went on that were so destructive in the summer before the 2020 election and the bail reform, um, the racial equity policies that they've enacted, which are actually detrimental to racial minorities. And, uh, you know, people are sick of it on both sides of the aisle. I mean, I think Democrats, Democrat voters who aren't completely brainwashed are sick of it. Certainly independents are flipping over towards Um, the Republicans in a big way. So I hope that there is an enormous red wave, a red tsunami on on Tuesday, because it really is a, a wake up call for the Democrats. They need to get back in control of their party and have common sense policies. You know, I think it's good for all of us to have two healthy parties. It's not good for one party to be stronger than the other. But the Democrats need a good dose of cold water. They need a slap in the face. I think they're going to get it uh, at the midterms.
5: Absolutely. From your lips to God's ears. Thank you so much, Miranda Devine of the New York Post. And I look forward to speaking with you again soon.
3: Uh, This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Looking for a little
0: common sense? You've found it. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable.
3: Uh, And now we have a candidate, Tudor Dixon, from uh, the state of Michigan for governor mm-hmm. for governor and the big item in Michigan is uh, the current governor, governor Whitmer, Whitmer. It, it, she's trying to take down the other big pipeline from Canada line five mm-hmm. and if she succeeds in taking down line five guess what well it'll go to 150 dollars a barrel and you'll be paying seven, eight, nine dollars a gallon.
7: Oh, absolutely, but it would be incredibly significant here in the state of Michigan. The Upper Peninsula of Michigan is sixty-five percent of our homes are heated by propane, which is all provided by Line Five. Fifty-five percent of our propane in the Lower Peninsula comes from Line Five. Um, our eighty percent of our jet fuel in the Detroit Airport comes from Line Five. This would be an economic disaster if this happened in the state of Michigan. So. We can never we can never let this happen. We can never have this pipeline shut down, but we don't even need to. We have the opportunity to have a tunnel built. This pipeline would go into a tunnel. We would see that the, we would have be able to run any other utilities in this tunnel up to the upper peninsula from the lower peninsula. It's outrageous to think that this governor wants to do this. But you know that they have a massive war on American energy. And Gretchen Whitmer is in the bag with Joe Biden. She's absolutely 100 percent on board with all of his policies. And that includes his war on American energy.
0: Well, um, Ms. Dixon, this is Judge Richard Weinberg. I also want to point out in the race and I've been following it, the the Michigan race, that has a lot to do with my younger daughter having gone to the University of Michigan at at Ann Arbor. So I'm I and I root for uh, for the Michigan football team. So I, I just want to say, how come they get away with saying that the schools in Michigan were only closed for three months? How come nobody calls the incumbent governor out on that lie?
7: Oh, how outrageous is that? Well, I can tell you parents across the state are completely angry with this governor for saying that. But it's exactly who she was the entire time we went through the pandemic. Get on national TV, lie to your face, and then walk off screen. That's exactly what she did, and you know what? It was the perfect reminder of her doing that to us for two years, and people went, oh, wait, that's the Gretchen Whitmer, I remember, the one who locks you down and then lies to you about it, and that's exactly what she did that night. She said, our schools were only out for three months with a smile on her face and a smirk as she speaks out of the side of her mouth, shrugging her shoulders, who cares about the kids? I mean, she essentially mocked parents when she looked at me in the debate and she said, my opponent thinks that books are more dangerous than guns. Think about that. We in the state of Michigan had a school shooting while Gretchen Whitmer was governor. She has done nothing about that. She has done nothing about keeping our kids safe in school. So who if you're talking about any issue in the school that we need to keep kids safe? Why are we trying to pick what's worse? How about we just make sure our kids are safe from everything? And Gretchen Whitmer so far hasn't kept our kids safe from anything. So, Tudor, uh, Gretchen Gretchen Whitmer is a household name. She's known throughout the country uh, for various, you know, for lots of reasons, good and bad, depending on who you're talking to. Uh, And I'm sure she has a fundraising edge. How's the race going? Right. Because I think at the beginning uh, there was quite a spread between the two. Is it narrowing? What's the status of it? You know, it's funny because she has spent over $25 million attacking me, and it's just risen my name idea up across the state, mm-hmm. so I probably wouldn't have even been able to get my name out there as much as I have. But we just, just before I talked to you, we stopped at a gas station and had four different groups ask us to stop and, and take pictures, and they all said, we're voting for you. She has made me a household name in the state mm-hmm. of Michigan, and I thank her for spending all that money to make sure everybody knows. She's who made you a national is. figure,
0: too, by the way.
7: Yeah, who the option is to go up against her. And I, I can promise you that we're going to bring our schools back. We're going to make sure we get tutors in our schools. We're going to make sure that our students are learning and our parents are involved. We're going to make sure that we back the blue and that we take care of our police officers. And we're going to make sure that we bring business back to the state of Michigan. She to lost to more Dixon, than you, any other state.
3: You better win and make sure we're not <laughs> paying $9 a gallon oil because of her. Thank you so much for coming on. And if I lived in Michigan, I'd definitely, definitely be voting for you.
7: Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for thank having you. me.
3: Thank you so much.
7: He's a Democrat,
1: he's Republican. There's a fight in the race. Who's going to win? your difference is side, man? way too many people suffering.
6: I wish they didn't
0: have no labor. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable.
3: With us today is one of the leading pollsters in America, John McLaughlin, and uh, it's three days to the election. uh, John McLaughlin, where the heck are we?
2: Well, you know, regardless of the polls, it's people that decide election. And uh, it appears that uh, the trends are moving our way. I mean, uh, our last national poll had, since I'm a Republican pollster, full disclosure, you know, we had the... In August, we had the generic vote tied for Congress, 45-45. Then it moved towards the Republicans in September, 48-44. In October, it's 49 Republicans, 43 Democrats, generic vote for Congress. So the trends are moving our way. And sadly, it's because 65% of the voters say the country's on the wrong track. 67% of those voters think we're on the wrong track, Blame Joe Biden. Inflation and the economy is the top issue. 60% of the voters think we're in a recession. They say the economy's getting worse, not better, 67 to 26. And uh, forty-seven percent of all Americans say that their inflation has hit them so bad they're struggling to uh, afford basic necessities. And you know, you have another thirty-eight percent who are telling us that inflation has impacted them. So you got eighty-four percent of all voters telling us that uh, you know inflation is the top economic issue. And then you got a national crime wave. You got a border out of control. And most Americans think that Putin's in Russia because Biden's too weak to stop him. So uh, there's there's issues here that are that are pushing the election where we're going to have a change election on Tuesday, and the Republicans should win the House and they should take the Senate, and even candidates like in New York where people had written off Lee Zeldin uh, months ago, now we're in, we're in a race that Lee Zeldin's probably going to win on Tuesday because our last tracking poll he's he's dead even and. The incumbent governor, uh, Kathy Hochul, the, the undecided are going to vote against her because of this Cassius bail crime wave that's headed New York.
3: Well, it's the, Senate, it's the Senate, the United States Senate, it's the United States Congress, and then you have some key governor's races. For instance, I've been talking about Michigan, where if the Michigan uh, race doesn't go well and we get Governor Whitmer back in there again, uh, and she cancels line number five, the uh, pipeline, then you can have $150 oil. Yeah, I mean, I
2: mean the Democrats are doing, the price of gas is going up again. And every American knows it. You go out this weekend, and, and if you're buying gas or if you're thinking ahead to Thanksgiving and you're buying food, you're going through sticker shock. And... uh it's, it's not just uh, it's, it's every state. And, you know, besides Louise that I'm working for Bob Stefanowski in Connecticut, the whole issues there have been taxes, affordability. And the incumbent governor, Ned Lamont, is saying that he's cut taxes and made things better. And most voters say it's not true. So Stefanowski's right on his heels. And people are going to vote for change in Connecticut, and Stefanowski could be the next governor in Connecticut, uh, depending upon the turnout in uh, uh, in Connecticut on Tuesday. But it's all about affordability, about economics, plus there's also crime in, in Connecticut. There's crime nationwide all over the place where these these DAs that, that let people out of jail and there's uh, – you know these these liberal legislators who have changed the the uh, uh, parole laws, et cetera. It's uh, people have had enough. They're fed up. And by the way, with inflation, not just in the United States, we just did the election in Israel for uh, Bibi Netanyahu, and and uh, uh, inflation, cost of living was the top issue, as well as security. And you know, certainly they have important security issues. And Netanyahu surprised all the pundits because. He won overwhelmingly with a sizable right-of-center coalition that people in Israel want a stable, uh, conservative, right-wing government for the the next four years, led by Netanyahu, because
3: they're tired of these left-wing policies that don't work and don't succeed. The people of Israel were also very upset that uh, uh, Washington, uh, President Biden, uh, was pushing to do a deal with Iran. Wasn't that one of the other factors? Well, yeah, they're afraid that they'll they'll go back in the arena and.
2: President Biden and and his people, uh, State Department, et cetera, were saying, "Oh, you can't have these." Now that the people of Israel spoken, they're telling Netanyahu, "You can't have these people that are too right-wing in your government." Isn't that election meddling? Isn't that something the people of Israel have spoken, and they should stay out of that? And you think of President Biden's speech last week, where he's talking about threats to democracy Mm -hmm. and everything. And most voters think it's him. You know, in America, here we're going to get to speak this Tuesday. The numbers have been good for the for the Republicans, whether the early voting numbers where we're surprising the Democrats that they don't have the numbers that they had uh two years ago. And uh in many places Republicans are coming out equally with the Democrats and the election day vote is gonna trend Republicans. So uh Um, So we're in a very good position to take back Congress and to take, you know, the U.S. Senate, where the Democrats are now, you know, conceding that they're probably not going to be able to beat Ron Johnson in Wisconsin. They're probably not going to be able to win North Carolina. They're not going to be. Dr. Oz has moved ahead slightly in, in Pennsylvania. Blake Masters in Arizona got support from the Libertarian candidates who dropped out so that he could beat Mark Kelly. Uh, the Republican candidate uh, Adam Laxalt is ahead of the incumbent Democrat in uh, Nevada. And one that they were writing off in the U.S. Senate, Don Buldock, who Donald Trump supported, is now even ahead of uh, Maggie Hassan, the incumbent Democrat in New Hampshire. Because guess what? People in New Hampshire right now, they're buying heating oil for the winter and they're in shock. And John, you know the oil industry better than anybody.
3: You know, they're telling people we're going to have a diesel oil shortage. People have to go vote. It's a democracy. Everybody should vote. I agree with you 100%. Thank you so much.
0: for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org.
3: With us today is our in-house genius, Dr. Peter Michalos. He's a, I call him our in-house genius in medical affairs and and in scientific affairs. What are we talking about today, uh, Dr. Michalos?
1: Today we're going to be talking about car safety and health. And interestingly, in high school, I actually trained in auto mechanics as well and uh, I've always been fascinated with cars and car safety, and over the years dealing with so many trauma patients with car accidents, and Forbes' advisor had a fascinating article and I learned a lot myself about car accidents cause 1.3 million deaths a year in the world, according to the World Health Organization, which is a staggering amount. And In the United States, we had 42,915 deaths in 2021, 10% more than in 2020, and because of COVID, we had a some fewer deaths in 2020. Uh,
3: of the 42,000 deaths in the United States, what, what do you think? And if you don't know, we'll talk about it next week. Uh, what is the real number from the 42,000? Is it lower than ever before? And uh, versus driving uh, worldwide, if they don't have airbags and if it's an old, uh, if you're in Cuba with a, a 55 Chevy, uh, you know, and no, no airbags, I mean... What is your thoughts on that?
1: Well, the answer is a lot more complicated because that's why we're talking about recalls next. And uh, recalls, for example, on airbags, there were 57 deaths that occurred with uh, airbags.
3: Any particular brand that uh, was on the statistics list?
1: Yeah, it's public information. It's the Takata airbags. And recently there were a bunch of uh, cars. There was the uh, Chrysler 300 and the Dodge uh, Magnum were... uh, and some of the Dodge cars and again it's not that they buy them from someone else the problem is when they're exposed exposed to moisture and humidity and heat uh, they get a defect and sometimes they explode and uh, it has caused some deaths so we tell our audience to please go to safercars.gov you put in your vin number and you can find out if you have recall sometimes a recall can be a minor little safety thing like a clip or something But when it's the airbag, they will actually give you a warning and say, do not drive this car, and then they tell you to actually have it towed to the dealer. It'll be done for free, so go to safercars.gov. And the other interesting thing, and uh, we'd like our politicians to know, is that used car dealers are under no obligation to tell you about car recalls on your car. And that's why it's important to listen to WABC, where we tell you these things, because listening to WAVC, I tell people the life you save may be your own. And one of the things we tell people is make sure you get your car inspected, have your brakes checked. When you buy tires, we urge people to buy tires that are A-traction and A-temperature rated, so you have a better uh, grip. And uh, try to buy cars that have a five-star front and side crash test rating, especially if you're on blood thinners, because people actually don't die from the trauma of the car accident, they often tie from bleeding out, so it's important to be in a safe car. And you don't need to have an expensive car to have a safe car, for example. And again, I'm not trying to plug any particular brands, but for example, the Subaru, which is a fairly priced car, every single model in their lineup has a five-star front and side uh, rating, which helps, especially, again, if you're on blood thinners, that's very important. The other thing, we talked about electric cars and the hurricanes and the salt water where we predicted there were going to be problems before the hurricane hit. We're also here saying it for the first time that I think that people need to be careful with electric cars when driving in snowstorms where they're salting the roads. Because the salt that goes underneath the electric car seems to have an effect on um, corrosion with the batteries and spontaneous fires. So I think that if you've been driving in the snow and under salt, you might not want to leave the car inside uh, your garage. And the other safety things that are important are, for example, millions of people suffer from dry eye. So I tell people to keep their vents down and the heat and the air conditioning. And even if you don't wear prescription glasses, wear some clear glasses so the uh, dry air does not hit your eyes, because that can affect your ability to see at night and to drive and also to change your cabin air filter once a year, especially when you live in humid climates, because mold and bacteria build up on the air cabin filter and people often forget to use that. So those are some of the health tips.
3: Understood. Um, We have about a minute left. Anything else you want to tell our listeners this morning?
1: Yeah, I want to tell our listeners to please do not uh, DWI, driving while intoxicated with alcohol. And the other one I tell people, don't DWI, try not to drive with uh, after you've had a bunch of uh, marijuana or these other things that are now legal. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more accidents and judgment, and especially with our young people, to protect them. And also please wear your seatbelts because 60% of the people who do die inside a car die because they were not wearing a seatbelt and properly restrained.
3: Thank you, Dr. Peter Mihalos, and we'll catch up with you again real soon.
1: Thanks for keeping the Cats Roundtable audience safe. You're listening to a show just
0: focused on finding solutions. It's the Cats Roundtable.
3: We have the senior, senior senator uh, from the state of Florida. We have Senator Rick Scott, uh, and uh, Rick Scott is mad as heck. He is being misquoted uh, for the whole country. He's going to set the Uh, record straight. Senator, can we set the record straight?
0: Biden's a liar. All right. Number one. Number two is. I would never, ever propose anything to reduce Medicare or Social Security benefits. And guess what? I don't know one Republican that would, but I do know a well-known Democrat that would, and his name is Joe Biden because he proposed it when he was in the Senate. And actually, I know every Democrat senator and every Democrat in the House voted this year, less than two months ago, to cut $280 billion out of Medicare, which is going to stop life-saving drugs for your mom and your grandmother. And guess what? Joe Biden, between the time he was vice president and president, the money he made, he put into a sub-ass and used a loophole that was not intended to not pay Medicare taxes. So Biden is a complete hypocrite and liar.
3: Senator, this is Vito Fasella. Thanks. I mean, do you have a sense of how many Republican senators will be serving in the U.S. Senate come January 2023?
0: 52-plus. We've got chances to win. In Washington, Tiffany Smiley is doing unbelievable. Like Metro in Arizona, Adam Laxell in Nevada, uh, Herschel Walker, and even Joe Day in Colorado and Leora Levy in Connecticut. Americans are fed up with Joe Biden and the Democrats. Lies, inflation, crime wave. Get out and vote. We have got to change the direction of this country. You know, we're going we're gonna to fight for the American family. We're going to fight to make sure we get this inflation down. We're going to fight to make sure your parents can be involved. The parents can be involved in schools. We're going to fight for a secure border. Get out and vote Republican.
3: Senator Rick Scott, thank you for Fighting for America, and we'll catch up with you again real soon.
5: And on the line with us right now is mario economo he is a former banker who has worked in new york london and zurich for large money center banks raised in europe and the middle east and educated right here in the united states welcome back uh, to the cats Roundtable, mario tell us what is going on in europe overseas i i know their economy is also in turmoil
8: yes good morning everybody thank you for having me on the program indeed it is the economy is in turmoil Uh, One big story that did come out, of course, from the United Kingdom this week was that the Bank of England raised its policy rate rather aggressively, and it currently stands at 3%. There is some discussion that that will also be increased before the end of the year and going into next year uh, by a further 25 basis points, which would take it to 3.75%. The problem is uh, the United Kingdom is going to be in a rather deep recession uh, and the Bank of England will have to put the brakes on these rate increases. The pound is expected to actually weaken. It's not going to get stronger. It did have a slight bounce back with the new prime minister that has now recently taken over. However, uh, it is expected that the pound will once again drop. Uh, going into next year, into the first quarter of next year. And of course, that's going to only add to the inflation woes of the United Kingdom, given a lot of their items are imported and therefore their weaker currency is going to make it more costly to buy things. On continental Europe, roughly the same thing is happening. Inflation is very high. Uh, It runs depending on the country. Uh, It can run from 17 to 22% on the high end and it can also run on the low end for anywhere from 8 to 10%. This also is not good because this is putting a tremendous amount of pressure on consumers in both the eurozone and the european union and the only thing that saves everybody in europe thus far is the fact that it has been very mild weather-wise which means requirements for heating have been Far lower than they normally should be at this point in the year that being said once it does get cold the reserves the uh, EU currently holds the various countries currently holding natural gas um, will be depleted and then we expect to once again see natural gas prices wholesale prices bounce back up and that will then have a further impact and increase inflation even higher
5: Mario economo what if the United States began drilling again wouldn't we be able to help our partners in europe rather than them having to rely on say i don't know russia because with winter upon us it's it's not looking good
8: the u.s is exporting the most lng to the eu the second country that's exporting the most lng to the eu and most people don't know this is actually russia now how can that be you're going to say when russia is supposed to be a sanctioned country Well, that's because they uh, exempted LNG from being a sanctioned item. So Russia is allowed to continue exporting lng to the european union that continues to import it and america is essentially setting the price so what the europeans now have done is they are paying and by the way the german chancellor has formally complained about this as has the french president to the u.s that the europeans are now paying roughly three to four times what they used to pay to the russians for gas to the u.s But now they're also paying that higher amount to the Russians since they've exempted LNG imports from Russia. So it's a rather bizarre situation, one which is strictly the EU's own making and which is only going to get worse.
5: It's mind boggling that Russia still has such a strong hold on energy. And what is the latest that's going on on the grounds in Ukraine now?
0: Well, the
8: Ukrainians have uh, engaged in a very uh, strong offensive in the southern part of the country. They seem to be taking some territory back, but it also looks like the Russians are getting prepared for a uh, major offensive to reclaim the territories that the ukrainians have taken they're asking all the people that are civilians in that part of the country to actually vacate and leave because they have said that the fighting will become extremely intense Uh, i anticipate the russians will continue to hit infrastructure in the ukraine and they will make the living conditions for people on the ground in the ukraine unbearable What I always like to finish the program on, which has to do with a situation between two NATO members, and specifically Turkey and Greece, and the belligerence Turkey continues to show with respect to Greece and its territorial sovereignty, I understand we've seen in the news that the NATO secretary, uh, Mr. Stoltenberg, uh, made his way to Turkey uh, in an effort to thank the Turks for mediating an agreement between the Russians and the Ukrainians, Uh, to once again open the sea lanes to allow the wheat ships, the ships full of wheat, to make their way through. Uh, The reality is, uh, whereas that's a very um, uh, nice uh, gesture by Mr. Stoltenberg, many of us who are Greek would like to actually see Mr. Stoltenberg make similar gestures to Greece, and uh, publicly announce that Greece's territorial sovereignty should not be violated and should not be challenged, and that NATO will actually take a position even against another NATO member who decides to become belligerent and to violate the territorial sovereignty of another NATO member. And uh, until we see him do this, many of us will continue to question uh, NATO and whether or not it's a viable organization.
5: Oh, that's a question that we've been asking for a very, very long time. So thank you so much, Mario Economo, for all of your insight and wisdom, as always. Thank you, sir.
0: (laughs) Countdown to Tuesday. Countdown to Tuesday. (laughs) Where's Patterson? (laughs) He's he's hiding. He's hiding. He
5: decided not even to bother showing his face. He's too ashamed. So he stayed home. He said he's literally sick.
9: I love the guy. <laughs> he's, no, he's, yeah. ter- he's a terrific man.
3: Yeah.
5: So, John, did you want to ask him, how are the markets going?
3: I just, yeah, I just lived
5: in a far
3: off land. <laughs> and uh, I just, they gave me a hotel room that's two miles away from the, from the uh, hotel lobby. So, what happened with the markets today? I have no clue.
9: Nothing. Uh, markets were flat. Uh, the jobs numbers were uh we're okay mixed bag uh non farm payrolls went up more than expected but the household survey actually fell uh the unemployment rate went up uh, a couple of ticks um but basically it was a you know a very decent number and it's kind of interesting to me looking at all this stuff you've had the fed tightening uh you've had the fed tightening all year uh, the target rate is up four full percentage points. The money supply is... Uh, Larry, has it quality. ever tightened as fast as it did in this well, p- Let me finish my point, yeah. and then we can hash over it. But the the thing is, it doesn't seem to have much impact either on inflation or the economy. Just very interesting. Um, normally, you know, after, let's see, 10 months of Fed tightening, and they've done it in large gulps, you would see... Um, more setback in the employment numbers or a bigger increase in unemployment. That has not happened. And um, regarding inflation, inflation is down but only a little bit. uh, And wages are holding up quite well, too. So I think what's going to happen here is uh, today's numbers, you're going to get a very tough Fed in December. People are talking 50 basis points, but they'll probably have to do 75. I mean, the policy is going to stretch into next year, and we're going to wind up having a double-dip recession. First half of this year, we had a mild recession. Now the economy is rising a little bit. Probably next year, you're going to go into a deeper recession. So hopefully the cavalry coming will begin to change policies right away. They've got to go after – they they must go after uh, – Oil and gas. They must go after permitting. They must permit drilling. They've got to let the refineries expand. We've got shortages everywhere. This would probably be the number one issue, and that would lower the inflation rate and improve the economic outlook. And it's funny, we've had all these major Senate candidates come on our show in the last couple of weeks, and every one of them says the same thing. Let's start by taking the handcuffs off of oil and gas so i hope that's the case
3: i think there's going to be a change because people are angry at what's going on they're, they're really getting angry the pulse that's the pulse i get from all the communities
9: november 4th happens to be the 42nd anniversary of ronald reagan's victory in 1980 uh, reagan was the quintessential optimist okay the quintessential optimist he didn't want recessions, he wanted growth. He didn't want contractions, he wanted prosperity. He wanted to put people back to work, not take them out of work. Uh, so the Democrats have been very pessimistic in this campaign. I think the Republicans on the whole have been pretty darn optimistic. Lee Zeldin's going to win, the cavalry's coming, stay optimistic. America's the greatest country ever was and ever will be.